0: You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show on 710-KURV. Here's Sergio.
1: Scary headline from the CDC. I saw this earlier this morning, and I wanted to flesh this one out just a little bit more, get down to the different layers of the eyeball on on this one. Check this out. Three people. This is a headline from a few days back. You guys remember that story on contaminated eye drops? It had some bacteria in it, and it was drug-resistant, and it rotted the eyes of some people and we back then when the headline was fresh about three four weeks ago one death had been reported by cdc now the update is three people have died as a result of those eye drop infections and they had 68 patients in several states some of these patients needed to have their eyeballs surgically removed by doctors just the thought of it i'm making a new friend i'm going to the er dr harvey castro is my guest. And he has, he's published several books, including the most recent one called Chat GPT and Healthcare. Dr. Castro, thanks for joining us on the program. Can you please go back and tell us about these suspicious, these sus eye drops, the ones that were, that are of concern that, that might be promoting all this eye disease? Well, what brand is it and, and why is it that that brand or those brands are the ones that are suspect?
2: Yeah, the, uh, the news press talks about, uh, global pharma healthcare had to recall specifically artificial tears loop eye drops. And those are typically are distributed by, uh, Isira Care and, uh, the, uh Pharma. I'm sure you can put it in the, uh, the notes of the show. And it's, it's really scary, uh, because honestly, I see so many eye infections, uh, but knowing that this is going on, uh, heightens my awareness and threshold for treatment.
1: These global pharma healthcare artificial tears lubricant eye drops again, Esri Care, Dalsum Pharma. Some of the names I need to look for. Is there? Do they have an ingredient that's missing in those eye drops that is in other eye drops? That other eye drops are safer because these eye drops that are sus. These are the ones that are missing some type of ingredient.
2: Honestly, from from that point, I haven't researched it. Um, I made the assumption that the factory, when they make these drops, uh, if they're not careful, if they're not keeping sterile techniques, or so there was a process that got contaminated, will then uh, downstream contaminate everything that they're doing. We had
1: a conversation so, about this uh, some weeks back. Uh, Dr. Rachel Gilman, Gelman, ophthalmo- uh, op- uh, ophthalmological surgeon, uh, she joined us on the program. She says... I remember she said that if that, the tip of that dropper, if it touches your skin, if it touches your, f- the tip of your finger, if it touches your eyeball, boom, it's contaminated. You got to throw it away. That's, that's why some of these people have been creating these little, bacteria petri dishes inside those bottles.
2: Yeah, and what's interesting, uh, we don't realize this, but our largest organ in our body is our skin, and our skin actually has bacteria. And that bacteria, we don't realize, can contaminate other things, but we live with this bacteria.
1: Is it possible that these scary headlines, Doug, by the way, my my guest right now went to the ER, Dr. Harvey Castro. Is it possible that these folks who had, poof, (laughs) just the thought of it, they needed to have their eye surgically removed because the infection was so bad, And, and there were three deaths. Is it possible that these folks waited too long? They should have done something initially when, I don't know, maybe they saw a little bit of uh, discoloration in their eye or itching or or something like that.
2: Yeah. And I'm glad you bring that point because honestly, that's my my gestalt take. I think that is exactly what happened. Um, I can't speak for it because I don't know the medical record, but if I had to generalize, I think that is what's going on. Mm -hmm. You know, unfortunately, as we know, healthcare is very expensive and many patients will hold and hold and hold until they think it's, uh, an emergency and unfortunately this type of infection is pretty fast and so uh, the initial su- symptoms is they usually wake up with a yellow green discharge or just eyes are somewhat matted yeah. um, and unfortunately uh, some patients are like oh I've had this before and, and the other worrisome part is a lot of people sleep with their contacts and sometimes they're not supposed to and other times they're supposed they have the daily wear and they're supposed to change them out every day but they're like oh I really want to maximize uh, my lenses and let me let me wear these for a month and obviously they're not they're not made for a month and that causes infection and my most worrisome part is a lot of eye infections are just viruses and so some doctors uh, will just purposely wait a little um, to make sure that it is just a virus that's going to clear up. And so from that point of view, I can see uh, this p- disease process getting worse. And And I'd like to share a quick story about me. Sure. Um, I was on a cruise ship, and I was playing um, some blackjack, having fun playing with the uh, chips, and I had the worst eye infection in my life uh, because obviously I probably at two in the morning and probably grab- touched my eye not realizing and this infection uh, got really worrisome. For me, I I gave myself the original eye drops that every doctor gives for these types of infections, and it did not work. And Mm. then I started freaking out because I said, oh my gosh, this this is not good. So then I put myself on the biggest guns. I talked to an ophthalmologist, a friend of mine, he's like, try this. And I got on that medicine, and thank God it worked. But I thought, man, if this progressed, you know, what if I'd have to have my eyeballs surgically removed because this took off? Oh, that's
1: scary. And as you mentioned, that crustiness and little boogers on the eye, I I would guess most folks think, oh, it's just pink eye. And I'll wait a couple of days. I don't don't wait. (laughs) I get crusty stuff or my boys get crusty. It's been a long time since any of that happened, but I usually go straight to the pediatrician and say, look, he's got gunk, can you help me clear it out? I don't want this getting worse. But it's, as you said, people waiting, probably waiting too long. And that's what gets yeah. them into trouble. And it fa- it happens really fast, doesn't it? I remember I had an eye infection. Man, you just reminded me. It was about 20 years ago. Uh, my wife at that time had made a new friend, an ophthalmologist friend, and uh, had some treatments for some conditions that, that she had. And I got this, I don't know where I picked it up, but it was right on the white of my eye, uh, and that sucker grew really, really fast. My wife wait, called her friend on a Saturday said, You got to get to the office. We're getting this looked at right now. And she put me on, I don't know what she did, but gave me necessary medicine to, to clear that up. But, but what surprised me is how quickly that stuff just ballooned, just blossomed in, in my eye. And so I still don't remember to this day.
2: It's, it's so scary. And, you know, it's, it's not like other infections. If it's on the fingertip or something, you're like just watching it. And if it grows, you kind of know that it's regional, but your eyes go straight into your brain, and so pretty quickly you can't play around with this because if it goes into your brain now, you're looking at abscesses and other stuff inside your brain and and death, obviously, so uh, scary, very, very scary. Is it
1: the fact that it's constantly moist that also promotes that? It's not like certain skin that can dry, for example. It's The eyeball always (laughs) has moisture in it. Does that promote uh, the growth, fast growth? some of these pathogens
2: yes sir uh, th- this particular infection they were able to grow out in a petri dish, and it was pseudomonas and pseudomonas that's is right. actually very common in hot tubs and unfortunately it takes a certain type of antibiotic for it so if you're not careful you can give uh, the doctor may give the wrong antibiotic because it doesn't cover wow that particular <laughs> that's <one>. another
1: thing <laughs> oh, oh man that's, <laughs> yes that's real scary
2: so uh, as a as a er doctor it, it's always good stay on top of the news and, and see what out what's out there because then when someone comes in you're you're more prone to say oh wait you know what this is right now rampant in my area and and that's to promote uh technology too much but honestly i see that as an advantage um, um in the future it'll go right into our electronic medical record and then we'll say hey there's an outbreak in your zip code for this and it's a lot easier to go yeah. wait, uh, yeah. i need to take care of this get everybody on the same now.
1: page as quickly as possible dr harvey thank you and we'll call you again, Dr. Harvey Castro. He's a specialist in ER medicine. Has Several books, including a new one on what everybody's talking about, right? Chat GPT. Chat GPT and healthcare, the key to the new future of medicine. That's Dr. Harvey Castro. This is the Sergio Show. I noticed a write-up and someone complaining that in our country, my kids are dying more and more as a result of gun violence. People that are irresponsible. And how they store guns, individuals who of course attack schools or attack children and, and just just crime. In the inner city, for example, lots of crime and it's all gun related and lots of children dying as a result of that. And going on how in this house it's a shame that in this country they're all done by guns. No, they're done as a result of many factors, but of course they're pointing to the gun. And in my opinion, angling this to try to do something to curb. Gun, gun ownership, gun distribution, gun legality. That, that's that's how I see Every time I see a story like that, I, I, I see an attack on guns because nobody's calling for less vehicles on the road. Nobody's calling for less cars, and more children die as a result of car accidents in the country than guns. It's just the way it is in America. This is the land of the Second Amendment. We have a lot of guns out there, but people need to be responsible. So I, I'm calling right now an attorney, and he's also formerly in law enforcement. Mike Pugliese, I appreciate your time again, Mike. I just want to get your quick thoughts on the fact that more kids die from car accidents than from guns. But then always the focus is somehow I think nefariously is to take guns away from law-abiding people by always, you know, tugging at people's heartstrings with things like this. Well, when we we need probably need a lot more gun safety, gun training, gun awareness to protect kids. What do you think, Mike? The,
3: the gun is just the political prop being used to sell an agenda. So let's just stop on that part right now, and, and let's get back to what you said earlier, responsibility. Where does that begin? It begins with the family unit. You know, most of us had the opportunity to grow up, where we actually had a home to go to. We had a house. We had a foundation, a family foundation. We don't see that anymore. And, and yes, we can get into uh, the responsibility, gun ownership, gun training, uh gun ethics everything that comes along with that but it all goes back to the family unit we've lost that masculinity we lost the father figure you know one thing that i'm welcoming in all this immigration talk is the family unit of the hispanics it is still intact it's still there they still have some type of god-fearing faith there that keeps somehow the family intact now in some of the other cultures we're losing that totally and i wish we could keep that now the only fear is who are the? What are the role models that a lot of these young people have to look up to? Well, it's the cartel members. It is the criminal elements out there that are promising a future. The gun gives you that power. It gives you that immediately that badge, that badge of honor that comes with it. And with that, they assume wrongly, but they assume it brings respect. And obviously, it doesn't. It just brings more chaos in the communities, more downgrading of the the uh, community. Not to mention the family unit is totally becomes. Uh, disintegrated. It's no longer there. And once you lose that, once you lose that family here, here. unit, here, here. then you've lost your kids and you lost your country, here, and that here. is
1: scary. Yes sir, and I, I can only hope and pray that if if some of these individuals that have crossed the border, especially the the legal migrants, the ones who did it correctly, because right now we're just overwhelmed with millions upon millions of people right. that are coming into the country illegally, if, if they have a moral backbone and a moral foundation. I would hope and pray that they fight mightily to keep that, because they could lose their kids within a generation by sending them to public schools the way the way they are these days in in, in our country. And speaking of public schools, I, I was talking. I was having a hard time with my with my son the other day, and I was explaining to him that man, in our country it was just over a generation ago in in public schools they would have gun clubs. And shooting practice and practice safety—it's—it's it's amazing how bit by bit we have we have instilled fear in our children, fear in our country. Where uh, for some of them, they, they don't even consider like his some of his classmates. But they won't even consider ever touching a gun. That is, that is so wrong. They leftists and statists and individuals who wish to disarm law-abiding citizens have done they have done a good job over over a generation. And slowly eroding the culture to disarm this country.
3: And not to mention the leftist media has certainly pushed the narrative uh, that uh, you know in order to reach utopia we need to take away the Second Amendment and do away with guns totally and they are focused in our schools like you said uh, through the teachers that are pushing this new woke religion on our kids and that uh, and that's the answer and unfortunately, they have taken, parental guidance, and thrown it out the window. The parents now are cautioned that if you teach your, your child the opposite of what the school professors, then somehow you should be arraigned on criminal charges. And, uh, and that's nonsense. When you have that uh, uh, disconnect between the child and his family, and his parents in particular then then that's that's the start but you're right I remember growing up in school the worst thing that could happen to you you get caught with a cigarette in your pocket <laughs> and you got two weeks suspension and a good panning at home from your daddy now it's gotten where you go to school and you have a gun you uh, it's some type of honor code especially if you actually use it and there's no respect for life at that point they are not taught the foundations and the principles of godly principles of respecting another person's rights and another person's right just to live, live a decent, safe life and have that environment. And the schools are scared. They're not looking at fixing the problem. They're looking at what can we do to uh, alleviate these, uh, these kids with that type of attitude from uh, not liking us. And, and when you start that down that road – you can't come back. You can't come back at all. I wish we could, but there's really no answer that I see. Every man-made principle I've seen so far that's been uh, been uh, profounded by our uh, by our politicians uh, somehow is, is showing up in here.
1: I can only hope, and uh, yeah.
3: and they don't have the answer.
1: No, I hope I hope people are waking up because politicians. It's the citizens. It's the parents. It's the business owners. They need to become the politicians at school board. It starts at, as you said. It starts at home, and then the first line of defense will be at the school board. Will be at the local school district and, and make sure that all these values are expressed again at some point on the front lines of education or arrest their control and provide some some competition in education mike it's a pleasure as always thank you for joining us again today uh attorney, thank you my friend god bless a former law enforcement officer and attorney mike Puglies. this is the sergio show
0: You're listening to the best of the Sergio show. Here's Sergio.
1: What to do and not to do if you can't pay your tax bill from Walzer Wealth Management President, tax attorney Rebecca Walzer. Appreciate your time, Miss Rebecca. I understand that with the Thank you. tax cuts and the jobs some sometime back, the withholding tables were were re- readjusted, were, were adjusted, so that some folks they had a bigger paycheck but less withholding, and in the end had a smaller refund check, or maybe had a tax bill. And for some individuals getting a tax bill, uh, the dos and don'ts. What would you What would you say? What's on your list?
4: The first thing to do is make sure you file. And if you're not going to be prepared to file by the 15th, make sure you file for an extension. But make sure you file because our failure to file penalty is the largest civil penalty we have in the tax code. It's 5% of the amount that, was basically owed per month up to a maximum of 25%. So it's basically a 25% surcharge on whatever your ultimate tax is determined to be if you don't file. So make sure you always file. And then if you do find yourself owing money unexpectedly and you can't pay for, you know, there's a lot of hardship going on right now in the economy, um, it's make sure that you take proactive action and call the IRS. They are very administratively understaffed right now, and it will probably take um, a couple of times to follow up and make sure you get through, but you want to make sure you get their name, their employer ID, and then you want to send a letter to them memorializing that conversation just so you have records documenting that you did actually speak to somebody, their name, and their ID number. And that's how you really work to work out a payment plan. If it's a simple, straightforward, I can't pay right now and I've got this amount to pay, you could probably handle it yourself by calling. If you have a return. This more complicated. You probably need to enroll a, what we call a tax controversy expert, which would be an enrolled agent, a CPA, mm-hmm. a tax attorney, something like that.
1: I hear all these commercials. where We can help you with your tax bill. And this example, Bob was $50,000 in debt and, and then he was able to settle for 50 cents or something. It's like a ridiculous <laughs> amount. And is it right. the penalties? Is it the cumulative penalties that eventually the IRS says, OK, we'll forgive that. Just give us the original tax bill is that the reason why bloated bills are reduced to a very much smaller amounts
4: i mean certainly the penalties and interest become their own bill and to themselves and actually can overtake the actual principal that it was originally owed that's for sure but i think it's more about financial uh if you have some kind of economic hardship you know so a lot of these tax uh, experts are going in and arguing. Look, we had a job layoff. We had coronavirus impact, We had this. We had that. And the IRS okay. is going to try to work out something. As long as you're making an effort and you are, and the biggest thing is to is to get a payment plan and to start paying because it's the people that aren't paying that are accumulating all of these uh, penalties and interest that is just going to rack up uh, immensely.
1: If you're paying on a monthly basis, something. Let's say you set aside 100 bucks, 200 bucks, and you're throwing something at Uncle Sam. Does that work in your favor or in the end an agent or somebody looking at your case and, well, you tried and now you have it. Okay, we're going to forgive all this ridiculous mountain of interest and everything else. Does that also help you make an argument?
4: (laughs) Um. Not so much because, you know, I have I just unfortunately know there's been way too many people in this country that make minimum payments and their ne- their debt's never going to get paid off. Their interest is never going to be captured and, and uh, written off. And this is like a perpetual credit card that never gets finished. And wow. unless you do something about it, the IRS is not going to just say, oh, you've been paying forever and your debt's gone nowhere. Let's just forgive it. That's not going to happen. You have to actually proactively hire somebody to make a case on your behalf of some kind of extenuating circumstances or whatever. The worst thing you can do, it's important to pay for sure, but you don't want to pay so little that your debt is just never going to go away. Because okay. it's, it's, the interest doesn't stop until the debt is finally paid, even with a payment plan. It's very rare for the IRS to abate interest completely. So it's a problem.
1: That's why you need the professional to help structure, exactly. uh, negotiate and structure. And once the structures are then you can... Plow forward with whatever payment that it is that you can afford or negotiate.
4: Exactly. Exactly right. Yes. All right. Uh, Anything else you want folks
1: to know? And now it's tax season and we got some folks that are are facing that situation, looking at a tax bill that they cannot afford. File, for sure, number one. Number two, after that?
4: I think that my standard advice is if you're a W-2 employee and all of your tax interaction federally with the federal government is being withheld from just an employer and there's nothing else you have going on then you can probably self-file with a TurboTax type of a software. You probably don't need help. If you have any kind of deductions, home office deduction being one of the largest audit triggers that we've had, although post-coronavirus or the whole country started working from home, that sort of changed a little bit. But home office deductions, itemized deductions, interest, rental properties, schedule ease, anything that's beyond just a W-2 that there's some extenuating circumstances, you might want to consider actually speaking with a CPA or a tax professional, just because things have gotten a little bit crazy and the irs is very understaffed and you just don't want any kind of problems being bubbling up and it takes years to like find out and then you then you're in a situation you're it really been like several years past due and that's not what we want either
1: Eighty seven thousand employees that were supposed to be hired at the irs i guess they're still in the process of sifting through all those all those resumes to bring those people there for it. better customer a lot service of quote those unquote. W- yeah.
4: Yeah, a lot of those were the criminal agents with the ones that actually have guns and go after the criminal tax evaders. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So uh, it's not the administrative help that we need in the front office. (laughs) Oh my my.
1: thank you for voting in the present government, you guys (laughs) who voted it in. All right. Thank you, Rebecca. Tax attorney Rebecca Walzer. This is the Sergio show.
0: You're listening to the best of The Sergio Show. Here's
1: Sergio. Senator Ted Cruz joining us on The Sergio Show. I I see that you're hoping to cap the high court to nine justices. Saw a little blurb on that this morning before we talk about border and other stuff that likely will never change under the Biden administration. Let's talk about something else you are trying to do up in D.C. So nine justices, cap that. I guess we're going to need a lot of states to help out if if they say yes or no to this. So what's your idea? What are you hoping to do?
5: Well, Sergio, good morning. Good to be with you. So I've introduced a constitutional amendment. It's very simple. It caps the Supreme Court at nine justices. And the reason for it is straightforward, which is when the Democrats are in power, one of their first priorities is to try to pack the U.S. Supreme Court. They, they tried to do that. They wanted to do that in the last Congress. Uh, they came just short of it. To do that, they needed to end the legislative filibuster, and they had 48 votes to end the legislative filibuster. They needed 50. They came just two Democrats short of ending the legislative filibuster. If they'd ended the filibuster, they would have then rammed through legislation increasing the number of justices on the U.S. Supreme Court from nine justices to 13 justices. Now, the reason they want to do that is they want to immediately appoint four left-wing radicals to the court who will go there then and work to undermine our constitutional rights, who would go there then and work to undermine religious liberty, to undermine free speech, to undermine the Second Amendment, to undermine states' rights, to undermine our ability to defend ourselves, our families, our ability to prosecute and keep violent criminals in jail. They view the courts as another avenue of radical policy change and to do that, they want to pack the court. And, and my proposal is very simple. It's we have had nine justices on the court for over a century. Nine works well. Uh, even Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the lion of the left on the Supreme Court, has publicly said that that nine justices is the right number, that, that it shouldn't be increased. And so I want to put in the Constitution that it can't be increased uh, to prevent Democrats from trying to ram through incredibly destructive court packing if and when they get the votes to do it.
1: That opens up the question, then, I, I think, on lifetime appointments as well. Where do you stand on that?
5: Well, look, I, I think there is value to the lifetime appointments at the court. You want your judges to have independence. It's it's one of the real innovations in our Constitution. In a lot of countries, judges are essentially political officials, and and they behave like politicians. Uh, Here in the United States, unfortunately, sometimes we have judges who who act politically. But when they're doing so, they're violating their oath, and that's not what they're supposed to do. It's one of the real differences, Sergio, actually, between Democrat judicial appointments and Republican judicial appointments. Joe Biden, when he is naming the people to the courts that he is right now, he is looking for radicals. He's looking for people who have an ideological agenda and who, when they put on the black robe, will use the power of the judiciary to try to force that policy agenda in, in, into action. That's not the role of a judge. The role of a judge is, is to, to call balls and strikes. It is, it is to be an umpire. It is to be fair. It is to apply the law. It's not to make policy. And I'll tell you, when Republicans are in office, if they're doing it right, we're not looking for judges that will implement conservative policies. We're looking for judges who will be faithful to their oath and follow their commitment. As you know, a couple of years ago I wrote a book called One Vote Away, How a Single Supreme Court Justice Can Change History. And that book, One Vote Away, walks through, chapter and verse, each of our constitutional rights, and decision after decision, either upholding or tearing down those rights, were decided five to four, many of those cases. I argued myself and litigated myself, so the book, One Vote Away, takes you behind the scenes in terms of what's really happening at the court.
1: Man, you're talking about a constitutional amendment. I'd like to see one, a courageous one, where we go back. We've been under de facto judicial rule for over 200, 210 years now. Uh, At that very moment when it was deemed that the federal government could make and be arbiter to all decisions by all powerful federal government i would love to see separation of powers uh, the reassertion the emphasis of of state powers over, over federal government and now that would be a courageous constitutional amendment but our electorate our people our public school children we haven't talked about stuff like we never talk about stuff like this it's anyway oh well, let me get off of that high horse and talk about other stuff that's taking place. Well, well
5: but, 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 Sergio, let me actually make a point, that, because what you're saying is really powerful. Um, one of the real genius elements of our Constitution that our framers arrived upon is what's called federalism. And federalism is the idea that, that the states have sovereign power themselves. And as much as possible, people should be governed by the level of government closest to them. In other words, everything that can be done at the local level should be done at the local level. If it needs to be at the state level, do it at the state level. And only those things that are truly national that require the federal government should be at the federal level. And one of the real blessings of federalism is it lets different states have very different laws that reflect the values of their citizens. And and look for a moment at all the controversy over abortion. As you know, the Supreme Court last year overturned Roe v.ersus Wade. I think it was the right decision to overturn it. Roe v.ersus Wade, you had nine unelected judges who said to the American people, we're smarter than you are. You don't get to decide the rules concerning abortion. We're decreeing the rules for everybody. What happened last year is the Supreme Court overturned that. And the court said, look, abortion is a deeply divisive issue. People have strong issues. It's emotional. It's personal. They care deeply about it. These sorts of policy issues, the right way to decide it is not unelected judges ruling from on high. The right way to decide it is in the democratic process. And where we are right now is each state makes its own rules. and, And the rules vary. You would not expect the people of Texas to adopt the same laws that the people of California adopt, or the people of New York, or the people of Illinois. And we now have a system where the laws in each state on on abortion can reflect the values and the mores of the citizens. I think that's one of the ways we keep our incredibly diverse and divided country together, is by being tolerant of each other and allowing a system where, look, California voters vote for all sorts of dumbass ideas, that Sergio, you and I wouldn't like. But if they want to do it to California, it makes me a little bit sad, but they can choose to live that way, and we're going to choose to live in freedom in Texas, and, and that's how you have a big, diverse country no, I'm, thrive yes, in unity sir. nonetheless.
1: Yeah, you said a key word, tolerant of each other. There is no tolerance from the tolerant left, and you know, federalism, it, it's a mirage. Congress, um, Senator, it's 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 a mirage. It's I, we live under the constant threat. The, the, the wrong people take power, hold power, hold the courts. Uh, we would have to bend a knee to that pro-abortion culture, shut down churches, and man, you don't use the the right pronoun, such <laughs> put you in jail for stuff like that as well. Anyway, off to another topic, the border stuff, real quick, Senator. I was hoping to speak with you a few days back on declaring at least a couple of cartels in Mexico, at least two of them, as suggested by six sheriff's associations in our country, saying New Generation and some other cartel, they need to be considered terrorists. Eighty percent of the fentanyl coming to the country from those cartels. White House says, that's not going to do anything? We don't have any more power? It was... Corrine Jean-Pierre, was she right? Was the White House right saying that the the federal government would have no additional power by declaring some cartels as terrorists? Because I see a lot of options that open up as a result of this. Just want to get your, your comment.
5: Well, sadly, when you ask the question, was Corrine Jean-Pierre right? Ah. That, that's a question that always ans- answers itself. The answer is no. Uh, she is shame. paid to lie to the American people. Uh, Remember, this is the same person who stood up and said illegal immigration isn't happening, that people are not just walking across the border, she said. It's not happening. Now, you and I know and everyone listening to your show knows, tragically, over five and a half million people have crossed illegally under Joe Biden. It's not happening because Joe Biden and the Democrats refuse to enforce the law, and they're practicing catch and release. When they catch someone, they let them go, and that's why they stay, and that's why more come and the result has been horrific it has been millions of people subjected to abuse to physical abuse to sexual abuse it's been children being abused it's been dead bodies left abandoned to die all of this is a choice it is a conscious political choice by joe biden and kamala harris and the democrats in washington now i support using every and any tool we have to stop the cartels of course they're terrorist organizations They engage in mass murder. They're trafficking fentanyl into this country. 100,000 Americans died last year from overdoses. We should declare them a terrorist organization. We should declare them an international criminal organization. We should go after them and put them out of business. Here's the problem. Joe Biden doesn't want to do it because he cares more about the politics. He sees every illegal alien. He believes all of them are future Democrat voters. And so he doesn't care at all. The 100,000 people who die of overdoses, that's a perfectly acceptable cost for his political objective. And, and it is cruel. It is heartless. It is sick. Let me give you an amazing stat, Sergio. In 2018, the Mexican drug cartels made roughly $500 million from human trafficking. Now, $500 million is a lot of money. How much do you think they made last year?
1: A lot more than that.
5: <laughs> $13 billion. Under Joe Biden, the profits to the Mexican drug cartels have increased 2,600%. He's turned these vicious murderers into transnational terrorist organizations. They're kidnapping Americans, they're torturing Americans. Look, the State Department is now telling Americans on spring break, don't go to Mexico, because the drug cartels, it it, it is tragically becoming a narco state, and this is Joe Biden's fault.
1: Yeah, it is a narco state, absolutely. I would just recommend, friend, the battle cry in D.C. from you and Amigos, that I know you guys are working toward this, but the power that we would have, Our country would have to fight some of these cartels. Maybe pluck them off. Take them out one at a time. The argument is this government would be able to seize assets, shut down money laundering businesses and operations, take bank accounts, put these certain individuals on no-fly lists, disrupt distribution routes, networking routes. We can make a serious dent in this if we are committed to fighting this war on drugs, fighting the cartels as terrorists. I think that should be the talking points from, from D.C., from and, conservatives. And, and
5: Sergio, I, I, I've been urging that for a long time. I urged President Trump repeatedly uh, to, to name them true. as terrorists. Yeah, I that's urged, true. I urged forgot urged him about that. urged to do that. so on my, on my podcast, Verdict with Ted Cruz. Yep. Uh, unfortunately, the Trump administration didn't do it.
1: All right keep it on the radar amigo thank you for your time how's uh papa cruz how's pastor cruz doing these days what's he up to
5: he's doing great uh yesterday was his birthday my dad turned 84 years old he had a great birthday um i would be remiss if i didn't mention to your listeners look i'm running for re-election in 2024 the democrats are going to come after us like crazy they're going to spend a bunch of money let me ask you come to our website it's tedcruz.org 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 Make a contribution. We, we need the help. We're going to win in Texas, but we got to have the resources to stop all the left-wing radicals who are trying desperately to take me out and to turn Texas blue. With your help, that's not going to happen, but please come to tedcruz.org, dot Ted org. Ted
1: I know you're a fan of term limits. This is going to be the last yes. one, right, Ted? This last one? Last you
5: know, I I am a big proponent of term limits. Uh-huh. I've introduced a constitutional amendment to mandate term limits for all senators, for all House members. Uh-huh. If and when we get that passed, I will happily comply. I've also never said that I'm going to unilaterally comply, that I'm going to term limit myself when nobody else does. I think <laughs> that's the rules have to important. apply uniformly to everyone.
1: Yeah, that's important. Uh, and
5: so... Until we get it done, I'm going to stay there as long as the people of Texas will have me, and I'm going to keep fighting for conservative principles to keep us safe.
1: Thank you for being there, Ted. You be safe. Uh, God's wisdom protects it for you and your family. Thank you, Ted. Ted Cruz, our senator Amen. from Texas. This is The Sergio Show.
0: You're listening to the best of the Sergio
1: Show. Here's Sergio. So the college campuses now and a mental health crisis that's being reported among folks in the front lines of medicine. Dr. Aaron Keeker is with Trinity Christian College. Appreciate your time, Dr. Aaron. We've known for. You know, since the pandemic, for the longest time now, mental health professionals have been telling us that there is a mental health crisis in this country. That's at the high school level, and now they're in college. So, is this just an extension of the shutdown? These juniors and seniors who suffered that shutdown and now are now in college. Do we see an extension of that mental health crisis going into college?
6: Yeah. Thanks for the chance to be with you. You I think it's a complex. I think it's a complex question. I think certainly. Uh, the experience of the pandemic has impacted students in a lot of different ways although that layers on top of some already existing dynamics there's certainly plenty of data available about the way that our use of technology and the way that social media can create expectations or isolation feed into this and i think that combined with dynamics across the pandemic have uh, definitely created a particular moment of challenge for our uh, emerging adults.
1: How are you addressing this issue? They're on campus at Trinity up near you know, the Chicago area? That We've created
6: some pretty bold structures. We've opened up our weekly schedule so that we no longer have classes on Wednesdays. We call them Well-Being Wednesdays, and what we're saying to our students is use that time in order to figure out what it means for you to be well academically or socially or emotionally or financially, do some work. Uh, and for our students, that's been a way to build a structure that allows them to really pursue what they need. We, we know that when our students are well, they can do well. And so that's been uh, a real win for us on our campus. Alongside that, we have lots of what you would expect as traditional supports on a college campus, a counseling center, access to 24-7 telehealth for our students, but also lots of other sort of programming and whole person formation. I'll say, though, that for us, that that unique move with our weekly schedule has had a big payoff in our students' overall well-being and has really helped to address this problem in in kind of an innovative way
1: well being Wednesday so does your college Trinity Christian College do y'all not schedule any classes there is no class offered on Wednesday then is that the way you do it
6: yeah that's correct so we have our freshman orient we do have a freshman orientation class that runs for a few weeks uh, early in the fall but otherwise those days are open and free from free from classes. We don't schedule anything to which students are obligated, though there are lots of sort of scaffolded opportunities that students can opt into around academic tutoring, other types of co-curricular opportunities. Uh, as I said, we also uh, encourage students to think about their financial well-being and what it looks like to utilize that time for paid internships or the opportunity mm-hmm. to work, to take that economic stress off, which can be an exacerbator actually of, of mental health issues. So, yeah, that's that's been the plan for us. It's It's been innovative and it's been exciting to see students sort of inhabit that space in some new ways.
1: In college and addressing mental health issues, Dr. Aaron Keeker, he's joining us from Trinity Christian College. So what is the single source, the biggest source of stress for this new generation that is so stressed out and dealing with mental health issues at college? What is it, Doc?
6: Yeah, I don't I don't think that there's a single, I don't think that we can point to a single factor. Actually, I think each person uh, sort of has their own story. I do think there are some broad issues that we've already named some of the stressors of the pandemic, some of the ways that our use of technology isolates us, some of the broader structures that put pressure for uh, success on high school students from very early on. And I think those combined then, of course. With the stories of our families of origin and uh, our particular journey so I think we can't quite quite point to a single factor uh, and I think one of the challenges that colleges face is to, to respond to each person on the on the journey that they're on and meet them where they're at you uh, know in, in a way that can can really support them towards success.
1: How do you gauge the level of stress or mental health issues there at your campus at Trinity. Is it the number of calls coming into that hotline? Is it counseling sessions that are booked solid all week? How do you gauge that? And you're able to say, well, everybody's all stressed out. How do you say that? Yeah,
6: yeah, that's a great question. So a couple of factors. I mean, from a data perspective, certainly we can Pay attention to the utilization rates of our counseling center and our telehealth services. We're a high-touch campus. We know our students quite well. So also our frontline professionals, both faculty uh, and, and student life staff, have a good handle on how students are doing. Our, our professors know their students, and so there's a lot of one-to-one contact that helps us sort of see how things are going. We've got a pretty well-developed care team system that allows anybody on campus to indicate, hey, here, here's a student who I think is struggling. Can we activate a team to reach out pro- proactively and support them? So we're able to pay attention to the way those numbers work, but we're also just really able to know our students and pay, and pay attention to what we're encountering in them on a, on a day-to-day basis.
1: What would you say, Doc? And I know I, I can just I can feel the questions and the cringe in some of my audience going, when I was going to college, man, I had no money. I worked three jobs. I kept up with my classes. I had family issues. Da, 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 da. I never needed no counseling, n- nothing like that. We're just we're wearing a, a softer generation now. i like always coddling them and protecting them. And every time they cry, we got all these counselors and people pounding on them. What would you say to somebody who says something like that? That might be me, yeah, by yeah. the way. <laughs> <laughs>
6: Yeah, well, first of all, I think we do live in a different time. I think our our youth are exposed to all kinds of things that we probably weren't exposed to 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 40 years ago, and I think that's important to account for. I think we've also seen how important it is to recognize uh, that even for those of us who grew up some time ago, the benefits we may have had, if there wasn't, uh, such stigma about reaching out to, to getting support, and if we could have seen in different ways that actually their, their reach for support is a sign of strength, um, not of weakness. So I think I would want to say, uh, look, a critical capacity to develop is a capacity of empathy and to look at each person and to, and to allow their story. Uh, to be their story and not to read your experience into that. So I, I think that's a real opportunity for us in a way that we can build communities okay.
1: that are compassionate and that help help people to flourish. Well, there you go. From Trinity Christian College up in Illinois, Dr. Aaron Keeker, and their solution is at their university. They give everybody a break midweek, Wednesday, no classes. No classes scheduled Wednesday. You guys go figure out what you want to do and de-stress on your own. Thank you, Dr. Aaron. Pleasure speaking with you. Thanks for having me. This is The Sergio Show.